Well, good to see you all and welcome. Today's a, a really special day. You, you see the decorations behind me here. It's kind of fun colors and all that because as you probably heard already, today is uh, the start of VBS. And, and I know for my daughter, she's been waiting for this day since last July when VBS ended. And uh, so we have 105 kids descending on our property today uh, to hear about Jesus and, uh, and to be involved in this. In fact, most of the kids coming actually not even a part of New Hope Church. This is outreach into our community. And so what I, here's what I'm asking, would you please be praying this week? Would you pray today all the way through Thursday that God just does some incredible things in the lives of kids that are coming? I also want to mention too that if you're kind of just hearing about it and you have kids, either ages preschool through fifth grade, um, you are welcome to sign them up. You can, uh, they are, sorry my mic's falling off here. Uh, they are welcome to come. You can come even tonight and just sign them up on the spot. There's there's lots of room for more kids. So, so uh, be a part of that. Um, Jake, thank you for sharing. I'm sure if you're in here anymore about the missions trip and the students that were sharing. That was, there he is in the back. There you go. Uh, it was just really cool to hear what uh, God did through, through that trip. And, and also I mentioned before we jump into our sermon series as well that um, Overcomer, this movie you just saw the trailer for, uh, you may have seen on the connection car before we showed the trailer and been like, I don't even know what that is. It sounds interesting. Uh, but having seen the trailer, you're like, I think I'd like to go. You still have your connection card. There's not too late. You can just check that box, and when you leave through the center doors, there's a table right there. You probably saw a bulletin when you came in, and there's a box there, and you just put the connection card right in that box, and we will get your seat reserved because uh, we do have limited tickets, and they're only six boxes. It's going to be a lot of fun together just to come meet some new people, watch a fun movie, and I uh, would love to have you join us uh, for that. Okay, if you would, please grab your Bibles and uh, turn to the book of Philippians. That's where we're going to be uh, starting today. In fact, for the next six weeks, we're going to be in this series. If you, uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, you can uh, go to our tablet or smartphone. You can go to uversion.com, and uh, there's an app there you can download on your phone, and you have the whole Bible there that you can uh, follow along with us that way. So we are, as again, we're starting this new sermon series today. It's called Joyride, a summer cruise through the book of Philippians. And we are going to be looking at and talking about the topic of, of joy. And joy is something, and this doesn't, won't surprise you at all, it's something that uh, all of us are looking for, our culture, our community, people are looking for joy, and, and yet it seems like never quite find it. At least in large measure, people don't find it. And, and we look for it in all kinds of places, don't we? We look for it in that next paycheck, we look for joy in that next purchase, that next relationship, maybe that next job, or maybe that next escape, whatever your escape might be. And we think that that's where I'm going to find joy, that's where I'm going to find that fulfillment, and yet more often than not, we don't. And then we keep searching, and we keep searching. In the book of Philippians, what we're going to learn as we go through this book over the next six weeks is we're going to learn that joy is found in some rather surprising places. Some places that maybe you don't expect. Some places that you'll be surprised to hear that that's what you were looking for all along is in a place you didn't think you would find it. And joy, let's just call it out. This is, this is, this is, not, this is more than a smiling face. Joy is different. Joy is something that is more meaningful. It's more significant. It's something that God wants you and I to experience no matter what circumstance you're going through. And some of you here this morning, you're, you're in a tough place. You're, you've been going through something hard and you're, you're in that place. But guess what? You can still experience joy in that place, even if your circumstances are difficult. And so this is what we're going to be looking at. I'm super excited to walk through this book, exciting book of the Bible. So again, Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to pick up this morning here. And as you're turning there... Um, 
As you're turning there, I want to give a little background to this book. Uh, this book is it's a short letter, and it was a letter that Paul wrote to this church in Philippi. In Philippi, as you'll see it circled there, it's, it's uh, north of Greece there. It is a, it is a uh, or was, a Roman um, historical city. It was, it was an important city. It was a trading city with a booming economy. This was not some outwoods village somewhere. This was a place that people were at and, and, and spent time with. Paul, on his second missionary journey, traveled to Philippi, which we'll talk about in just a moment. And when he was there, he established this church around the year A.D. 50. So you think chronologically, the year 50 A.D. is when he planted this church. Now he's writing this letter back to this church in Philippi, the year 63 A.D. So about 12, 13 years have passed since he's planted the church to when he's writing this letter to them. And this letter has some interesting dynamics to it. Like, for example, of all the letters that Paul wrote, by far Philippians is the most personal and the most tender. This is a very heartfelt letter that he wrote. And what you're going to notice both today and in the weeks to come, you're going to notice how much Paul loves these people. I mean, he loves this church. He, he, he feels so connected to them. And this is interesting enough because he'd only, aside from planting the church, he'd only been able to visit two other times in 13 years. So it wasn't like he spent a lot of time there, but he's connected to them in some special way. He loves them and they love Paul back. You're going to see this. The other thing that you're going to notice is that while, uh, while Philippians has this, this theme of joy that we're going to be looking at throughout the next six weeks in this letter, there's actually something deeper going on in this letter. See, Paul, in, in the whole letter of Philippians is 104 verses. But in those 104 verses, Paul talks about Jesus 51 times. That's almost every other verse where he's bringing up Jesus over and over again. And this is going to give us a clue that the joy that we're seeking ultimately is always going to come back to Jesus. And that's an important theme that we're going to notice throughout this book. There's one other thing I want to mention about this book that's interesting is that Paul, who's writing this letter back to this church, these people that he loves, and he's talking about this, this theme of joy is interwoven throughout the entire book, that as he's saying these words, let's remember he didn't write this letter in a good place in life. In fact, he wrote this letter from prison. This is where he's at. And don't think of like a, a prison today with ESPN on three squares. This is not what's going on here. This is dirty, dark, and he is there and he's chained up. He, 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 in fact, literally, he's chained one arm to a Roman guard on his left. The other chain goes from the other arm to a Roman guard on his right. And here he sits in this setting day after day, week after week, not for one year, not even for two years. Scholars believe that he was there in this place for four years. Just sitting there. Just waiting. In so many ways, kind of taken out of the game. And if anybody had reason to not experience joy in life circumstantially, I'd imagine that's Paul in this place when he's writing these letters. And yet we're going to see Paul is incredibly joyful. And I don't know about you, but I want to learn about joy from a guy like that. I want to learn about joy from a guy who's in the worst kind of position you can be as we think of just kind of living circumstantially. He's in the worst of positions, and yet in that place, he could talk about anything, but he's talking about his joy and his relationship with Christ. It's, it's an amazing thing. 
And so all that said, let's go ahead and jump in. Hopefully you're there now. If not, just follow along behind me. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Here, Paul's going to give this standard introduction. Here's how he begins. He says, Paul and Timothy. Now, Timothy is his partner in the ministry. Timothy's there with him. So Paul's probably verbally speaking this letter to Timothy. And Timothy's quickly writing it down as fast as he can. This is how they did it. So Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, so Paul gives this this standard, appropriate, we would say, dear so-and-so, this is kind of how he starts his letter. Now, at this point, what I want to do is I want to push pause. And what I want to have us to do is I want us to get into our Back to the Future DeLorean time machine, and we're going to dial it back, and we're going to go back in time for a moment, 13 years. Remember, this is AD 63. He's writing this letter from a prison cell. I want us to go back in time for just a moment, uh, 13 years to the year AD 50, when actually Paul started this church. So leave a finger in Philippians 1, if you would, turn to the left a few books and go to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, or again, you can follow along behind me on the screen behind, because what is fascinating about this church, uh, unlike many others, is there's an entire chapter in Scripture devoted to how this church started. And so we get the whole story. I mean, you know how New Hope has a story. Of course, we celebrate our 20th anniversary this last March, April time. And we talked about our story as a church. Well, the Philippian church, they had a story too. And the New Testament gives us their story. We're just real quickly going to look at their story because we're going to learn something very important as we do. So Acts chapter 16 is where this happens. Now, we're not going to read it, but the story begins in verse 6. And what happens there is that Paul and his team are in Troas, and they're going about their missionary journey, but God shows up, and God just changes the itinerary. So, so they think they're going to be doing you know, this next stop and going to go share with these people over here about Jesus. But God comes to Paul in a vision and says, actually, no, change of plans. You're not going there and there. I want you to go over to what's going to eventually become Philippi. And so they wake up the next day, and Paul's like, guys, God's got something new in store, so let's pack up camp and we're off. And so here verse 11 picks up the journey. It says, from Troas, we, we put out to sea, and we sailed straight for Samothrace, and, on, uh, and the next day went on to Neapolis. And then it continues on there in verse 12. It says, from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. Now let's pause here real quick. This is, again, this is an important city. There's a lot of people here. Next slide shows a picture. If you go today to Philippi, the one on your right is what it looks like today. That's the ancient city of Philippi. You could go there and you can walk around and check things out. Now, the picture on your left is an artist's rendition of what Philippi probably looked like the day that Paul and his team showed up. And so we're talking about a decent-sized city. There's an amphitheater. There's a lot of things going on in the city, a lot of economy, a lot of trade. Now, I want you to look at the picture on the left specifically. You'll notice just to the right there, outside the city gates, there's water source. There's a river. Notice that as we continue to read and we continue to move on in verse 13. It says, uh, it says, and we stayed there several days, and on the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river. That's where they would have gone. Where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had, had gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. And she was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she says, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. 
So here you have this exciting moment. So Paul and his team show up in Philippi. There's no synagogue. Typically he'd go to the Jewish synagogue and start talking about Jesus. But apparently there's no Jews there. So there's no synagogue. So they don't know quite what to do. So they're like, well, let's just go on a Saturday morning out and we'll pray at this river. They go there. There's a collection of ladies there. And Paul, through conversation, begins to just go in and start talking to them about Jesus. And here we see this woman, Lydia, responds to the message, responds to the gospel. And she says yes to Christ. Now, Lydia, imagine her. She's going to be super smart. She's a CEO type. She's in the fashion industry. We know she has two homes at least, so she's definitely got money. She's got a home in Thyatira, and then she invites him to her home in Philippi. And maybe she has other homes as well. This is high society. This is who Lydia is. But Paul shares this message with her, and God opens her heart, and she's like, I'm all in. She says yes to Christ, and here we've got a movement beginning in the city of Philippi. But God's not done. Let's keep reading now in verse 16. It says, Once we, so Paul and his team, were going to the place of prayer. And we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. In other words, she's demon-possessed. And by the way, that word female means that she's a young girl. I want you to picture somebody who's in that 7, 8, 10, 12-year range. This is kind of who she is. And she earned a great deal of money from her owners by fortune-telling. And she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, this is kind of humorous, I suppose, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. And when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. This other, again, incredible moment here. It really so unlike Lydia. In fact, this little girl is so unlike Lydia. I mean, Lydia, again, established, wealthy, independent, CEO, that kind of thing. Now you've got this, this girl, and she's exploited. She's poor. She is enslaved. I mean, she couldn't be more different. And here we have this scene. It's not like with Lydia where Paul shares a message. This is a spiritual deliverance. This moment, this kind of really incredible moment where where Paul just rebukes this demon. It comes out of her and, and, and here she is. The owners of her realize that she's not worth anything financially so they cast her to the curb. But she learned though that Jesus wasn't done with her. And here this this encounter happens and she begins to lean in to this gospel message after she has this encounter. God, again, is continuing to work in this this community here of these people's lives, but God's still not done. Let's keep going. Verse 20. It says that they brought them, they, the, the city officials, brought Paul and Silas before the magistrates. And they said, these men are Jews, and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us, Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he had received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Uh, This is a bad day. I mean, here they are, they're out there, they rebuke this demon, they have this encounter with this this little girl, but now they're in trouble with the law, they're flogged, they're beaten, they're stripped, they're brought to the prison. And I want you to notice something here. This jailer is cruel. And here's why I say this. Notice that the orders that the jailer received was to keep keep watch of this prisoner. But what he does is he goes to that next level and he actually puts them in stocks. 
Now, don't think of like England 17th century stocks. Don't think of like your head and your hands, you know, and you're kind of stuck and you can only look a certain direction. That's not what this is. What this was at Paul's day was there was these chains that would be attacked, uh, attached to these pulley systems and they would attach the chains to limbs like ankles and, and wrists and arms and whatnot. And you would begin to ratchet this thing down and it would contort your body into all these weird and painful positions. And so this jailer is just having fun, just, oh, you want to do more? You want to do more? And he's continued to ratchet them down. Sometimes it would snap bones. I mean, that's what this is like. So imagine Paul and Silas, they, they're, they're naked, they're beaten, they're bleeding. They're in these painful, contorted positions where maybe things are coming undone in terms of like joints and whatnot. And they're in pain, but check out what happens next. Verse 25, it continues, it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. That's incredible. I, I mean, here is a scene. You can't keep this guy down. I mean, here you think about Paul. There is nothing that was like rocking his faith or taking his joy. That in this situation where, where all of us, I mean, me, I mean, I'd be like, this is horrible and <laughs> crying out and complaining and all this. You, you, this is not him. He's worshiping and they're praying with all this joy to God in this scene. It's like with Paul, you can't, you can't distract him or harm him. Paul's like, his attitude's like, look, kill me. That's cool. I get to go to heaven. You can be with Jesus. That, that's great. Or you want to torture me? That's fine too because as I'm suffering, God is doing a refining work in my heart. I'm becoming more like Jesus. It's like you can't, you, you can't get to this guy. And here the jailer is watching this and, and probably you know, bothering him at first and continuing to ratchet those things down. And after a while, he's like, I don't get you guys. I, I just don't get it. This scene as they're watching Paul and Silas's life unfold before his eyes. Let's keep going. Verse 26. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake. Some point during the night this happened. That, found, uh, that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now I want to pause here. Can we go back real quick? Because I think I forgot a picture. I want you to see this picture. This is the prison that this happened at. You can go there today. And you can see the scene, one on the right is on the outside, the one on the left is on the inside there, and this is probably where Paul and Silas were at. This is the place that happened. This is a very real place. This is where it took place. And so this earthquake hits in verse 26. All the doors slide open. Let's keep going in verse 27. It says, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're, our, we're all still here. And the jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out, and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had become to believe in God, he and his whole household. Again, another incredible moment, this incredible scene where you have this, this ex-military manly dude, jailer guy, comes to Christ. And it wasn't like Lydia. I mean, Lydia was, was through a message that she responded to. It was kind of an intellectual response as she heard about Jesus. Then you have the slave girl who has this spiritual encounter, being demon-possessed and being set free from all of that. 
And then you have this jailer. His story is so different because for the jailer, it was seeing Paul and Silas's life in front of him just lived out. And where he's looking at these guys is like, what? You're so different from anything I've ever seen. And so it was the example of their life and then getting to share about Christ later that led him to say yes to Jesus. Again, this is an exciting thing. Now, why do I share all of this? Why do we go back and we look at this whole story? Here's why. It's because the Philippian church started with a wealthy fashionista, with a demonic, formerly demonic slave girl, and an ex-Roman military jailer. You cannot get a more diverse group of people to come together to be charter members of a brand new church. I mean, really, these people coming together to do this. But you know, the thing is, this is what Jesus does. In fact, if you have your bulletin on the back side, here's your first fill in the blank. There it is on the screen. It's this, is that Jesus, he takes strangers and he makes them family. He takes strangers and he makes them family. And I love this. I mean, because if, if, look, look, if we as Americans, if we're honest, we usually do life with people just like us, don't we? We prefer that. We're socialized to do this. That our circle of friends in life are the people that are very similar to us. That's the way it works in so many uh, places. And yet the gospel, what the gospel does and what Jesus does is he blows the doors off of our preferences so often. And he brings us into contact with people that are so unlike us. To have these encounters with other people. And again, you have the Lydia, the girl, and the jailer. If you think about it, those three people never in a million years would have ever ever related with each other. They would never have had a conversation. They would never have gathered at Lydia's house to share a meal. It would never happen, would it? And yet here God says in his sovereignty, he says, you know what? I'm going to do a movement here. I've called Paul to come to Philippi. And I'm going to do something special here. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to grab that one over there, Lydia. I'm going to grab this little slave girl over here and this this military guy. And this is going to be fun. Because we're going to pull them all together and that's going to be the people that are going to start this church. And we're not going to read about today, but after this scene where, where Paul leads this jailer to Christ, he has to leave Philippi. Within a handful of hours, he and his team are gone. And all that's left are these three families. And they say, you know what? We're different but we're going to link arms together. And we're going to trust God to do something amazing through us. Us odd, random collection of people. And we're going to move forward. And a church was planted that later Paul is going to write to. It's an incredible thing. And you know as well as I do, we live in a time culturally and politically that is putting walls around all of us. They're putting walls around us politically. They're putting walls around us economically or gender or any other category to say that if you're not like them and they're not like you and you're in a different place in life, then then you certainly can't relate with each other. And they're bad and you're good and vice versa and we fight and we argue and on it goes. You see it too. You, You see it in our culture. This is what happens. But here's what I love is that the church is such a different mission, isn't it? The, the work of what God is doing in his church, the, the story of the church for 2,000 years is one that just overcomes the walls that we as people set up, the boundaries that we set up between people. See, when a collection of people have Jesus in common in spite of their uniquenesses and they come together, God works through those people. God does something amazing through those people. And here's what else that we discover, something else that you'll discover 
If we talk about joy and finding joy and finding joy in some surprising places, here's one place that we see in Scripture over and over again that you and I will find joy. There it is. We find joy in community. We find joy in community that's united around Jesus. And again, maybe that's not a place you think of. Maybe that's not a place that you're like, well, naturally, the local church is where I'm going to you know, be plugged in and I'm going to find joy in that place. But we see that in Scripture. And maybe for some of you, you're like, actually, my experience is just the opposite. That my experience of church is painful. That my experience of church is I've been hurt. And so it is so the opposite of joy. And if that's the case, I mean, all I can say is I, I am so sorry because that's so contrary to what God's design is for the local church. He hasn't built us to go through life alone. He wants us coming together to be the local church. This, this is a place that joy is found. And, and so I know you're in Acts 16. Would you flip back to Philippians 1 as we begin to close this morning? Because when Paul's writing these words, when Paul writes this letter, and we're going to study it verse by verse in the coming weeks, he's writing this letter to Lydia. And he's writing to a little girl who's probably now in her early 20s, and maybe she has a family, maybe she's married, and he's writing to this jailer in his household. These are the people that are in his mind as he's penning these words back to the Philippian church. Look with me at what he says here in verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you, Lydia, little girl, jailer. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, it is right for me to feel this way about you, all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains, which he was, or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Why? So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. So why do I share all this? What's the point? Here's the point. It's your next fill in the blank. It's this. Church is not something to attend. Church is a place to belong. And if you don't get anything out of this morning, this is what I hope you walk away with. The church is not something to attend. It's a place to belong. And I know we have our vernacular. We're going to go to church. And there's an event of Sunday morning. I I get all of that. But if that's all it is, it's it's not enough. And that's not where you're going to find joy in just attendance. It comes through recognizing that God has called me, God has called you to be in a community, to be in a family. And if you look at the New Testament, you look at Scripture, you see over and over where, where God compares the local church, he compares the local church to a physical body. And in like manner, so we look out and here we are, the, a portion of New Hope this morning, we had a full first service too, but, but some of you, if we were to use this analogy, it's like some of you are eyes and some of you are knees and elbows and ears and all of that, and, and, and that means that all of you are important and, and all of you are matter. And to say it differently, that when it comes to the local church or New Hope church, like you're needed. If God has called you to this church, you're needed. And and we are not quite the same and we're not quite as good without you. 
we need you to, to be a part of the community. It's not a place to attend. Because if it's just a place to attend, here's what it looks like. I come, I have an experience, I leave, I evaluate the experience. Preaching, eh, worship, yay. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of what we do. Snacks, cereal, rocks. I mean, Fruit Loops, that's good. So we'll bump our stock that way. Right? And so we kind of evaluate just as consumers to other products that we consume in our lives. But when we say, no, no, this is family. This is my community. This is where I want to belong. That's where you find joy. That's what happens. That's what it looks like. You see, the local church is when a collection of people and all of our uniquenesses, and we do have uniquenesses, and all of our uniquenesses come together and are united around this common mission that we have, this passionate pursuit of Jesus, and this mission that we have that we articulate it as helping people find and follow Jesus. And when we take that seriously, we, we come with our uniquenesses, we come with our gifts, we come with just who we are, and we're a part of something significant, something so much bigger than, than me and you individually. It's an important thing. It's not a place to attend. It's a place to belong. That's what the local church is. So, band, you can come up, if you would, please. We begin to close. So, so I want to close with a question. And my question for you this morning is, what is church for you? What is it? Is it, is it a service, a church service? Is it, is it I don't know. But, but what is it for you? And when you think about this idea of like on this side over here, it's, it's I attend church and then over here is this place of no, I'm, I'm plugged in. This is, this is home for me. Kind of where are you at in that spectrum? Because I want to encourage you if I can this morning to jump in over here and to say I'm all in. So what does that mean? Well, it kind of means just that. It means jumping in. And maybe it means come out to VBS tonight and meet some people and hang out with some kids. Maybe it means something like... Um, I don't know many people, but Overcomer looks like a decent movie. I kind of cried during the trailer, so I'm in. So I'm going to go, and I get to meet some other people. And we'll just go to the movies together. That's a great way to just meet some people. That's why we do these kinds of things. Uh, it means in a couple of weeks, you're going to hear about small groups. And small group signups are going to be starting. And it means like, well, I've never been in a small group, but why not? Let me test drive that one. I may hate it. If so, you can get out, but you may find a community of people that you love and you can share life with. Maybe it means joining a serving team. Maybe it means first step, like Tim was talking about earlier. Whatever it means, it just kind of means just take that next little step. Just that next little step. That's all it looks like. Because as you do that, you're going to plug into a family that loves you. And you're going to experience joy in a surprising way. That's what's going to happen. Can we pray together? We're going to pray, and then we're going to close out with a, with a great worship song. Let's, let's pray. Father... Uh, as, we, as we just come back to, to this idea that, that you've called us to be a part of a, of a church family. Church was your idea, and you didn't create us to navigate life or navigate our faith all by ourselves. It just doesn't work that way. And Lord, I recognize too that some here this morning, you've been, you've been hurt by church, and there's, there's fear in plugging in, and there's, there's fear of kind of taking that step, but... But Lord, you're calling us to that. And I pray that wherever we're at in our spiritual journey this morning, that we would be willing to do that, that we'd be willing to say, okay, I'll open myself up just a little bit more, connect with some people, and belong to a church family where I can love others and I can be loved by them. Father, we thank you that this is your design and your desire. We place in your name. Amen.